Simba was the son of Mufasa, the lion king of Pride Rock. Simba used to spend his days playing with his good friend Nala and getting in trouble with her. But then uh, Simba's uncle, Scar, tricked him into thinking that he had caused his father's death. Uh, the, the wildebeest stampede killed Mufasa, and Scar said, um, run away and never come back. So Simba ran. <clears throat> he met a meerkat named Timon and a warthog named Pumbaa, and he spent his days playing in the jungle and singing Hakuna Matata and eating uh, bugs and caterpillars, I believe. But all the time, his uncle Scar was ruining everything at Pride Rock. So Rafiki the magical monkey went to get him. And Mufasa spoke to him out of the clouds. And he said, Simba. And Simba replied, Father, Simba, you have forgotten me. No, how could I? You have forgotten who you are, and so have forgotten me. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. Remember. All right, so Simba was called to be the king of Pride Rock, but he was not living up to his high calling. He was playing in the jungle. But then he remembered, or he was reminded of his high calling, and so he went and lived up to it. Um, he went and kicked his uncle Scar out of Pride Rock and uh, fixed everything. So our passage for today shows us that we have a much higher calling than Simba ever had. We are called, um, we have one hope that belongs to our call, it says in verse 4. And that call is to be in relationship with one God and Father of all, who is over all, um, meaning the transcendent God of the universe, the God who created everything, sustains everything, governs everything, and he is through all and in all, meaning he is the imminent God who is with each one of us and is emotionally engaged with every single person on the entire planet. He is with us. We are, we, our call is to be in relationship with this God, and the hope of our call, um, the hope that belongs to our call, comes through Jesus Christ. Because we've all sinned against God in many ways, um, and Jesus has gone to the cross to take on himself what we deserve for our sins. And he's risen from the dead so that we can be with God now and forever. Um, this is the hope that belongs to our call. God has given us a high calling, and so we need to live up to that high calling. We need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Uh, like Simba, we can't just like waste our lives playing in the jungle. We've been given a high calling. We have to live up to it. So there, there are many different, when I think of living up to God's high calling, I think of many possible things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Go and make disciples of all nations. Have a strong daily personal walk with God. Live with integrity. All kinds of um, really valid things. But what this passage says is that the way to live up to our high calling is by living in unity. We need to live up to God's high calling by living in unity. This passage teaches us that we cannot unify ourselves. 
um, the unity that we have is a unity of the Spirit. Unity is something that the Holy Spirit does. Um, and if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, we are already unified because um, the Holy Spirit has united us to Christ. John 15 says that our union with Christ is like the union between a vine and its branches so that um, Christ's spiritual life flows into us. Uh, Ephesians 5 says that our union with Christ is like the union between a husband and wife, uh, which is why the, our spiritual debt of sin can pass to Christ and he can pay for it at the cross and why his wealth of righteousness can pass to us and why we're found righteous in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says that we are united to Christ like all the different body parts are united to one head. Um, so we're all part of Christ's one body. So this is the unity of the Spirit. Uh, we cannot unify ourselves, and we don't have to. We are already unified in Christ. What we need to do is maintain the unity that we already have. And um, there are just several different ways to do this. First, we need to live in unity by resolving personal conflicts. Since we already have unity with one another in Christ, we can't let that unity be broken by personal conflicts. Uh, we need to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so having a bond of peace between us at least means that we can't have any hostility between us. Uh, we need to forgive each other, uh, meaning, I think, releasing any bitterness we ever feel at anyone else and committing to um, letting that bitterness go if it ever comes back. Um, and we need to resolve um, conflicts with one another. We need to reconcile. Verse 22 says we need to be eager to maintain the unity. If we have strained relationships, we have to be eager to um, recover those relationships. Verse 2 says that we need to bear with one another in love. Christ has forgiven us over and over and over again for the same sins, so we need to forgive one another over and over again for the same sins. And we have sinned against God worse than anyone has ever sinned against us, and he's forgiven us at the cross, so we need to um, forgive others no matter what they do against us. Um, when I went camping recently with the youth uh, ministry, I, I shared a story about a guy named Taylor. So Taylor was the leader of his church's men's ministry, and the church leadership did something he didn't like. He got hurt, and he left the church. Uh, and then the guys in his men's ministry decided they weren't going to let him go. And so they uh, went to his house, and uh, they literally set up camp in his front yard. They, they took tents, and they ran electrical cords from uh, the neighbor's houses into their yards so that he could they could have TVs while they waited to reconcile with him, and they brought grills because they were settling in for the long haul to, um, they were going to wait until they could reconcile. Uh, they also made signs in the front yard that said, Taylor, come out. We love you. Taylor, we know you're in there. <clears throat> and so, uh, Taylor did what any of us would do. He called the police. <laughs> and the police came, and when they came, they went to the door, and as soon as he opened the door to explain the situation, they all started cheering for Taylor. And then, uh, so the police came twice a day for six days. And on the, on the sixth day, when they came the last time, um, they knocked on the door. Uh, he opened the door. They all started cheering again, and he lost it. Um, broke into tears, came out, and reconciled. And so uh, the point 
to me, obviously, is, is how hard are we willing to try? Um, we have, uh, God has unified us in Christ. How, how far are we willing to go to maintain the unity, um, to reconcile personal conflicts? We also need to live in unity in our marriages. The Bible says that two become one in any marriage, Genesis 2.24, two become one flesh. And especially if both people are Christians, then you also have the unity of the spirit. So Marcelina and I have been married for almost 12 months. And so we have some wisdom that we would like to share with you all <laughs> about how to live in unity in your marriages. So we think that living in unity means being a team. Uh, we think it means to talk things through and be on the same page about goals and priorities. Uh, we think it means to have a common front to your kids and to the world in general. And we think that if possible, that ideally it would, um, the marriage would be unified around a commitment to uh, Christ and um, God's word and biblical worldview. But we know that's not always possible because it's a fallen world. Um, and um, in all seriousness, we would love to learn from you about what it means to be a unified marriage because we're new at this game. But um, one of the traits that will help us in, our, in, in having unified marriages, I think, is gentleness. So gentleness is kindness. Uh, it means thinking kindly of another person instead of thinking critically. It means speaking kindly instead of speaking rudely. And it means treating people kindly instead of coldly. And then gentleness is also strength, which is restrained out of love for another. So Jesus Christ is the ultimate model of what it means to be gentle. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Um, he had the ultimate strength, which he restrained in the ultimate way at the cross, um, out of love for us. Um, and he was kind with us, even though, like, knowing he's the judge of the universe, he knows everything we've ever done, um, but he was kind to go to the cross in our place and to treat us kindly with his forgiveness and love and acceptance. Um, Jesus has been kind with us, and we need to treat our spouses with kindness. We also need to live in unity by pursuing relationships with people who are outside of our comfort zone. So if we're trusting in Christ, then we are united to every other single person who is trusting in Christ, um, which means that we need to pursue relationships with people who are very different from us, whether it be age or stage of life or education level or socioeconomic status, or it doesn't matter. Um, we're all united, so we need to pursue relationships with people outside of our comfort zone. Uh, I once got to visit a, a village in Alaska, an Inuit village, uh, it was so remote that we had to fly, like, single-engine planes into the village. And when we got there, we found Christians <laughs> who invited us into their home and served us fried salmon and rice and boiled salmon eggs. And, uh, and then we had a time of Bible study and worship and prayer, and we felt unity with our brothers in Christ. These were all guys, brothers in Christ um, in a remote village in Alaska. I've been a pastor for the last five years in a Korean church, where if we were all gathered, uh, there would be both Korean and English lyrics on the screen, and we felt uh, unity in our um, common commitment to Jesus Christ. I've been a missionary in Madrid for two years, and I've 
worshipped many times in Spanish with Spanish speakers, and I felt unity with, uh, with uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ there. And I'm sure that we all have had those experiences of um, unity with people who are very different from us. So this passage teaches us that we have more in common with our brothers and sisters in Christ than we have different, no matter how different they are. So we, we are one body, which means that we're, if we're trusting in Christ, we're all part of the one body of Christ. We have one spirit. If we're trusting in Christ, we're all filled with the same Holy Spirit. Uh, we have one hope, which means that uh, we have the sure, confident hope uh, that we are reconciled to God now and forever through Jesus Christ. We have one Lord. We're all submitting to the same king, seeking to live out his word in our lives. Uh, we have one faith. It's unfortunate that the Christian church is divided into denominations, but there's only one truth and there's only one gospel. Um, we all share one faith. And there's one baptism. Again, unfortunately, there's um, differences of opinion, but um, there's still one baptism, which is we all agree is the, um, the entry right into the people of God. Um, and there's one God and Father of all. Um, the point is, because all these things are one, we are one, no matter how different we are, we have more in common than we have different because of Jesus Christ. So this summer, I read a book called The Compelling Community by Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop, and I thought it was very inspiring. It talked about the difference between gospel plus relationships and gospel revealing relationships. So gospel plus relationships are relationships with other Christians that we would have whether or not we were Christians. So uh, my example, I didn't ask Danny for permission for this, but my example was that um, Danny Morris and I ran a lot this summer, and uh, we were both Christians, but hey, we might have run together even if we weren't Christians, because we're both young married guys who happen to like to run. Um, so gospel revealing relationships are relationships that we wouldn't have apart from the gospel, uh, meaning because they are... Uh, wider or deeper than we would otherwise go apart from Christ, um, because um, God's love impels us to uh, invest in relationships with people who are very different from us and to go deeper in relationships than we otherwise would, um, th maybe through deeper commitment than we would otherwise have, or um, greater vulnerability than we would otherwise have. And the point is that Jesus went, like, wider than we will ever go. We are very different from Jesus in the sense that he is the creator, we are the creation, he is holy, we are sinful, um, but he embraced us in relationship with him, and, and so we need to go wide in the same way, embracing people who are different from us in love. Um, he went deeper than we will ever go. He literally went to his death for us, out of love for us, and so we need to go deep in relationship with one another as well. So my hope is that we will never settle in our relationships here at Cornerstone, that we will always push wider, um, developing relationships with people who are different from us because, you know, uh, I mean, different from us in the sense of age or stage of life or whatever, that we will never give up, that we will keep pushing wider, um, developing relationships with everyone in our local church, and that we'll keep pushing deeper, that uh, we won't settle with, like, surfacey, nice Sunday relationships, but that we will um, really get to know each other, really be committed to each other, um, hold each other accountable, go deep with one another. We also need to stay unified in our local church. Since we are all united in Christ, we should be resistant to any kind of division. 
And one thing that will help with this, I think, is patience. So King, the King James Version uh, translates patience as long-suffering, which just means to hang in there with one another for a long time. Um, it means forgiving each other for the same things over and over again, and it means uh, bearing with one another in love when we run up against each other's uh, failures and weaknesses. We need to be patient with one another because God is patient with us. So uh, Walt is leading us through a sermon series on the multi multicultural character of the kingdom of God, and it seems like uh, some people are responding, at last, we are finally talking about these things. And it seems like maybe other people are responding, why are we talking about these things? Um, and maybe those people look at each other and say, you're blinded by a cultural perspective. Um, I think the answer could, at least part of the answer is patience. Uh, it takes time for God to grow us all into the people he wants us to be. It takes time for him to uh, open us up through the truth of his word and teaching us how to live as a local church. Um, so we should be patient with one another as God grows each one of us. We're all united in Christ. We need to stay unified as a church. No matter what comes our way. <clears throat> we also need to live in unity by working with other churches. So every person in every church that is trusting in Jesus Christ, we're all part of the same body of Christ. And again, I think that denominations are a sad reality that isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, the reason, I think, is because we're all finite, so we all have limited uh, understanding. None of us knows as much as God does. Um, and we are all sinful, which complicates everything. So I'm absolutely committed to the PCA. I'm so proud to be a PCA pastor. So praise God for, um, for leading me to be a pastor here. Um, but uh, we need to realize there's only one body of Christ, and we need to figure out as many ways as possible to exhibit that unity while not compromising our commitment to Scripture. So the closer other churches are to us doctrinally, the more we can do together. Um, and whenever we share common goals, we can do things together. And I think we have lots of great examples, current examples in this church. For example, CareNet, working with other churches on that, partnering with other churches on that. Uh, WARM, this um, ministry to homeless people. Work Life is uh, something that's happening with other churches. And College Life 101 is something we're doing in February in the youth ministry that we're partnering with other churches on. But I think we should keep looking for more and more ways to show we are one body of Christ. Uh, one thing that will help us to maintain unity with other churches, I think, is humility. Again, uh, we're finite. We don't know everything. We're sinful. We don't even live out the truth we do know. <laughs> Um, and so we should stay committed to our understanding of Scripture, but we should also learn from other churches. For example, passionate faith from more charismatic churches or um, this commitment to serving in more mainline churches. We need to live in unity by working with other churches. We also need to live in unity by remembering our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. So... In seminary, we were asked to read this book called The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity by Philip Jenkins. It's very good, very interesting. I would highly recommend it. What this book argues is that the center of gravity of the Christian world has moved into Latin America, Africa, and Asia. He says, if you want to visualize a typical contemporary Christian, you should think of a woman living in a village in Nigeria 
or in a Brazilian favela, which is like an urban slum. He says, by 2025, half of all Christians in the world will live in Latin America or Africa, and that if all the trends continue in 2050, still a third of the world will consider themselves Christian, um, but it will be shifting towards the southern hemisphere. Um, so when we think of living in unity, we shouldn't just think of people in this room or people in Southern Maryland or even just people in the United States. We should realize that the majority of our brothers and sisters in Christ soon uh, will live in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. And so we should pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, especially the ones who are being persecuted. So Saving Private Ryan is a, a movie set in World War II, and in the movie, James Francis Ryan is a private in the 101st Airborne Division. His, he has three brothers who all died at roughly the same time in the war so that their mother is going to receive three death notices on the same day. And so it was decided by uh, General George Marshall that Private Ryan should be sent home immediately. And so uh, they... Captain John Miller was given a mission to go into Normandy to find this one Private Ryan and send him home. Along the way, uh, many of the guys in that unit died. And when they finally found him uh, and told him the news, he said, my mother will understand that I can't leave the only brothers I have left. Um, so Captain John Miller and their uh, unit joined with him in defending this important bridge. And more of them died in, the, in that battle including Captain John Miller, was fatally wounded. And so in the, towards the end of the battle, um, Private Ryan comes up to him, and uh, Captain Miller says to him as, he, as he's dying, earn this, earn it. And then at the end of the movie, a much older Ryan goes to visit Captain John Miller's uh, gravestone, and he kneels down next to it, and he says, every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. And I think the idea of merit is wrong. Um, I think, how could you ever earn someone giving their life for you? Um, in fact, I think that's offensive and possibly even stupid. How could you earn that? Um, and in the same way, how could we ever earn what Jesus did for us? Never. Um, it was a free gift of grace that we can only receive uh, gratefully and joyfully. Christ has saved us at the cost of his life at the cross. Um, but I think that the idea of responsibility is right. Um, it would be foolish and wrong after this cost of all these guys going to save Private Ryan um, for him to just waste his life doing whatever he wants. Um, and in the same way, we have received a high calling. Um, we have been called into relationship with the God of the universe um, at the cost of Jesus Christ at the cross. And it would be wrong to just waste our lives doing whatever we want. We've received a high calling. We need to live up to that high calling. Um, and uh, there's, like we said there's so many different ways of what that looks like. But the one that this passage says is unity. We need to live up to God's high calling by living in unity. I'll go ahead and pray for us. Um, Jesus, again, thank you for doing what was necessary so that we could be saved. Thank you for uniting us to yourself 
um, through your Holy Spirit so that your life flows into us. You've taken our sins and died for them. Um, You've given us your righteousness. Um, Thank you also that through our union with you, we are united with one another. Um, Lord, help us to be faithful, to live out this high calling that you've given us um, joyfully, knowing um, that you are the one who has united us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.